Amen. Well, what a beautiful day. Is anybody enjoying this weather? I mean, this is the time. If you are, um, if you're trying to get any family members, recruit them to move to Texas, this is the time they need to visit you, right? It's in this two-week window. I'm going to, by faith, say it's in this six-week window. I'm just going to claim it a little bit longer because it's been so beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, we're so glad that you are here today to join us again as we continue our Rebuild series. What a powerful, powerful message we heard last week. And if you did not get to hear that last week, do yourself a favor and watch it online this week. You will be blessed for sure. So this guy named Jim, he stopped by his car dealership to get some work done, and he ran into his friend, Alex, who worked at the dealership. And went over and found him where he was at his little cubicle. And over the course of the conversation, the topic of church came up. Alex shared with Jim, he said, man, you know, every time I go to church, I just, I just feel like a hypocrite. I, I know how much I'm struggling. And to be honest, I just don't feel like much of a Christian. And so Jim was listening, nodding paying careful attention, but all of a sudden, something shifted with Jim. He said, hey, hey, what do you call this part of the dealership right over here? And, you know, they were in a serious conversation, so that seemed a little strange. And so Alex responded, you mean the showroom? He said, yeah, yeah, the showroom. That's what you call it. He said, and then if you go past the showroom, you know where the parts counter is? If you keep going past the parts counter, what do you call that? What do you call that part? of the dealership. And Alex said, the service department? He said, yes, yes, the service department. He said, now, what if I told you that I didn't want to bring my car into the service department because it was running rough? <laughs> Alex gave him this puzzled look, and he said, well, that would be crazy. He said, the whole point of service departments is to fix cars that aren't running right. So <laughs> Jim replied, you're absolutely right. He said, now, back to our initial conversation. Instead of thinking of church as a showroom with all the beauty and splendor on display where image is everything, he said, why don't you start thinking of the church as God's service department, helping people get back in running order with God. That is what the church is all about. Amen. Are you grateful for that? Amen. Is there anybody who's grateful that God has a service department? I'm grateful for the church. Amen. I'm so thankful we serve the master builder, and he wants to rebuild us today. And so I'd like to open with our focus passage for this series. I'm going to be reading Psalm 51, verse 10. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then um, we're going to go to our other focus passage. It's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Amen? That's the least we can do, right? <laughs> Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, 
But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We heard last week how we are in a season of renewal as a church. You know, we've journeyed down this path so far (laughs) in this pandemic time with questions with doubts, with fears, with frustrations. But now is the time to rebuild. Well, I'm going to just say that one again because I would really like for more than two people to be excited about that. Now is the time to rebuild. Amen? Amen. And what we know is that now is the time. Thank you, babies. Thank you for worshiping. Hey, we will take it. Now is the time to commit our lives wholly to God, wholly, completely over to God, because that has got to be the foundation of any rebuilding that we do. It starts with what we just read in Psalm 51. It starts in my own heart. Maybe you've heard the saying before, be the change you want to see in the world. Has anybody ever heard that saying before? And so really what that means is if we want more kindness, be kinder. If we want more love, love more. If we want more peace, be a peacemaker. If we want revival, start a revival in your own soul. Amen? Is that, is that what that's talking about? In that regard, and that's what renewal is all about. It's about fully surrendering to God. It's about being completely consecrated to God. It's about building your own personal altars so God can renew you there, so God can renew me there. You know, there's a lot to be said about altars. And and to be honest, churches don't really talk a lot about altars anymore, Part of that may be because we're living in the New Testament and it's a different dispensation. But I want you to know altars are the place where sacrifices are offered. That's that's really what an altar means. And um, we often refer to this space here at the front of the church as the altar because it's a place where we can come to consecrate our lives to God. You can feel the same presence of the Lord no matter where you sit, but it's just a step forward to God to surrender over to him completely. It's the place where we come to bring our best offerings, our very hearts. It's where we bring our own lives to him. And we bring them to God, asking him to take our lives and make something beautiful out of them for his glory. Now, just as a a side note here, I don't know about you, but... I I don't always feel like my life is beautiful unto the Lord. (laughs) Sometimes, many times, lots of times, I find myself wondering, Lord, what do you see in me? (laughs) And Lord, why are you so patient? And and why why have you chosen me to be your child, right? Am I, is it just, okay, it's just me. I I know, it's just me. Um, (laughs) And so, so the the thought that we can come and we can humble ourselves to this holy, perfect, pure God, we can surrender to him completely, 
And he can see the beauty in us that we can't see in ourselves. Y'all, that's incredible. That is something that I am so grateful for. And I never want to lose a spirit of gratitude for that. And I hope and pray that you don't lose a spirit of gratitude for that either. Because that truly is what it's all about. And so at the altar, we bring our lives to him. And at the altar... It must be a place that we go every single day. I'm not talking about up here necessarily. I'm talking about we need to find a place for a personal altar in our lives every single day to commune with God and to, all, to offer him everything that is within us. The altar is a place where you can trade in your sorrows and your shame for hope and for peace. Amen. Are you grateful for that? The altar is a place where our destinies are realigned with God's divine purpose for us and where our own will is transformed in his image. And that's really what that Romans 12 passage is all about. Altars are where we are transformed to become living and holy sacrifices to God. It's where we empty ourselves of the desire to copy the behaviors of the world. Do we have those desires <laughs> from time to time? Do we, do we want to just kind of coast along and kind of keep up with everyone else? The altar is the place where we stop comparing ourselves. The altar is the place where we say, Lord, hide me under your wings. Let me be what you want me to be, not to live the best life so I can keep up with Jim and Barbie and whoever else. was Ken and Barbie, never mind, sorry. So I can keep up with whoever else I need to keep up with. No, the altar is the place where I can become one with you. And it's where you're going to find the perfect will of God for your life. Altars are very important to God because they are holy places. And when we humble ourselves before God to make sacrifices to him, he meets us there. That's why altars are necessary in the life of every, of every believer. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, it's necessary. Look at another neighbor and say, you got to have it. <laughs> and then maybe just point to yourself and say, I got to have it. Yeah, I, I got to have it. I got to have it. I'd like to take us back to the Old Testament to an incredible story of sacrifice. The sacrifice that we see at the very first Passover. And in this story, we're going to learn how to rebuild by renewing our commitment to God. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small, everybody say too small. Everybody say too small. If the, I just need some help this morning, y'all. Help me out here. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. I'm going to speak today. Rebuild, renew my altar.
This passage takes place just before the final act that brings about the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. Happens just before that. Maybe you're familiar with this story. After living in exile, Moses returns to Pharaoh, demanding him to let God's people go. And so if you know the story, Pharaoh defiantly refuses, and he's powerful enough to do what he wants, right? And so he does what he wants. He refuses. He thinks he's more powerful than God. (laughs) So he defiantly refuses, but God sends a series of plagues to Egypt, 10 to be exact. Crazy things like frogs everywhere. Now, I know some, is anybody scared? You don't even have to raise your hand. I know some of you are scared of frogs. Um, There are some people in this room right now. God can deliver you from that fear. Um, Okay, if you're not scared of frogs, the Nile River turned to blood. Okay, I mean, y'all, that would scare me. You know, just the river that was our source of sustenance, now it's blood. Um, so So that's a challenge. Locusts. Okay, if the, if the bloody Nile River didn't get you the locusts, I mean, y'all, we deal, like, we have enough problems with crickets. So, like, I am not about locusts. Each time a plague came, Pharaoh would agree to let Israel go, but then he would go back on his word after that plague ended. And in our opening passage today, what was about to take place would change the destiny of Israel because this final plague, the tenth plague, would grip the hardened heart of Pharaoh and would cause him to release Israel to pursue their promised land. What was that final plague? It was the death of every firstborn, the firstborn of people and of of animals. And if you read further in Exodus 12, you'll find that the death angel came through that night and there was sorrow and there was weeping and there was wailing like never heard before. But God made a way of escape for all who would listen. Aren't you grateful to serve a God who still makes a way of escape when we listen to him? All of Israel was instructed with great specificity to sacrifice a lamb and to paint the blood of the lamb on the door frame, the outer door frame of their home. And the prophetic words of Exodus 12, 13 when, when this is shared, it stands as one of the most powerful proclamations of all Scripture. It says, now the blood, everybody say the blood. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here is something worth remembering. Here is something you can take to the bank. Here is something you can write down and stand on when you feel low, when you feel weak, when you feel weary. Here's what I want you to know today. The blood makes a way. Amen? The blood makes a way. The blood saves. The blood delivers. And in verse 4, It told them exactly what they needed to do, exactly how they needed to follow that. It said if a family was so small that it could not eat all of the lamb that night, they were 
instructed to invite another family to join with them and help them eat it to make sure none of it was left uneaten. Now, that might seem like a strange thing. You know, this is a, this is a time of personal consecration. Why do we have to bring other people in? Why do we have to bring other families in? Well, well there's, there's an important lesson to be learned here, and it's that God did not want any of the lamb to be wasted. God did not want any of the lamb to be wasted. They had to eat the sacrifice entirely and burn any remains before the next morning. That's why if there weren't enough people in their family to consume all of the lamb, they were instructed to invite other people to be with them. And so the principle for us today is just this. God does not want his sacrifice to go to waste. Does anybody know that to be true? God doesn't want his sacrifice to go to waste. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to let God's sacrifice be wasted on me. I'm not going to take it for granted. I'm not going to hang on to sin and to sorrow when there is hope and there is peace and there is joy that is right there for the taking from me. I'm going to receive all that God has for me because he's already paid the price. He's already paid the price. It's just like somebody giving you this amazing birthday present, and six months later, you're still sitting there looking at it on your table, still wrapped up just as pretty as you got it. That's not what the Lord wants. We know that doesn't make sense. We know that doesn't make sense, and, and uh, you, you know you open that thing right up as soon as you can. <laughs> um, and so that's how we need to be with the blessings of God. You see, wasting his sacrifice it's like taking a few bites, just a few little bites, and then walking away still hungry. Not sharing that sacrifice with others who so desperately need it. And that is what we often do with our blessings from God. You see, his sacrifice, it should make us full and whole and complete. But all too often, we are content with just grabbing a few crumbs and walking away still empty, still weak, still bound, still struggling. Forgive us, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus. I mentioned that this passage was prophetic. And so obviously it gave them a direct prophecy. Hey, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. Uh, there's, there's a lot of that in scriptures, this if this, then this. By the way, we've talked about this plenty of times we probably shouldn't come to the Lord and say, Lord, if you do this, then I will do this, right? He's the only one who has that kind of power. He's the only one who can give covenants, and he's the covenant keeper. And that's what he's doing here in the Passover. If you do this, then I will pass over you. And so it was prophetic in that sense. It was fulfilled right before their very eyes. But, folks, it did not stop there because this prophecy foretold the most amazing plan of God of all time, the victory that Jesus Christ would win for us. Amen. Aren't you grateful for that? Amen. See, we, we might get a little uncomfortable in churches today talking about the blood. What does that mean? And why do we talk about that? But it goes back to the altar. It goes back to those initial sacrifices. It goes back to the fact that sin had to be atoned for. It, something had to wash it away. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it didn't, what they did in the Old Testament, it didn't wash it away. It just pushed it up a little, little further. I'll tell you about that a little bit more in, the, in, in just a moment. But 
here's what I want you to know before we go any further with this. When the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, the wrath and the judgment of God will pass over you. When the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, it doesn't matter what you deserve. It doesn't matter what you should receive because the blood of Jesus has covered you. The Bible tells us the blood covers a multitude of sins. We know that to be true. The blood and the lamb's sacrifice in the Old Testament, it simply pointed us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want us to read about that in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 1. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Somebody say, It can never. Yeah, it can't make you perfect. It can't. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? That's a lot of words. What does that mean? What that's saying is that if what they did in the Old Testament worked, wouldn't we still be doing it? Wouldn't we still be doing it? If it, if it forgave our sins, there would be no need for the sacrifice of Jesus. But it didn't. All it did was push them up. Just, just push them up for a year. It just kind of said, okay, you don't have to. It's kind of like deferring your taxes. You know, this year we, we, had a, we had a little window to defer it. And then there was still that deadline and this anxiety. you got to get your taxes in and all that kind of stuff. That's all it did, folks. That's all it did. And it pointed to the perfect sacrifice that was to come. Verse 3 says, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I want to skip down to verse 8. It says, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices. This is talking to God. You didn't take pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, and burnt offerings, and sin offerings. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So it's kind of like, hey, the, the blood of bulls and goats, it was just this moment in time, and it was just the beginning of God's grace. It was God's grace right here, and it just kind of pushed it up a little bit and then pushed it up a little bit and then gave a space of grace pointing us to that ultimate sacrifice that would redeem each person, each person, any and all. Verse 10 says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Somebody say that with me once and for all. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. Now, under the law, we already talked about that. That was one, one time, once a year. It came, it pushed it up. It wasn't permanent. It just delayed the consequences. And there's an old, But there's an Old Testament principle. It doesn't mean that just because, just because that, it's, it's not that it's, 
just simply done away with. It's that it's fulfilled in Christ. There are still lessons that we can learn from those sacrifices. And from the Passover lamb, from that sacrifice, there is a principle that we can learn. It's called the shared sacrifice or sharing the lamb. And I want you to know when you see it in the Old Testament, it's fulfilled in the New Testament as well. We see one lamb the most precious lamb of God. And that one lamb, Jesus Christ, is sacrificed and shared for all of humanity. So this shared offering that we see in the first Passover, now we see that come to pass on the cross of Calvary because there is one lamb, there is one spotless lamb who redeemed us, who has washed our sins away forever. It is once and for all, and it is for all. So it's one point in time and it is for everybody. Look at your neighbor and say, it's for you. Look at your neighbor again and say, it's even for me. (laughs) It is. Let's read John chapter 1 verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in 1 John 2 and 2, Speaking of Jesus also, it says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, propitiation, that's one of those fancy Bible words. What does it mean? It means the atonement, the forgiveness, the complete, it's it's the canceling of your debt, okay? And it takes away the wrath of God the punishment of God, the judgment of God for our sins that, by the way, we earned, right? It's not just this mean old God who's just randomly um, (laughs) doling out punishment. No, 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 no. It takes away our punishment. It takes away our punishment. The lamb takes away the sins of the entire world. And here's what's so beautiful. This shared lamb, Jesus Christ, is so large that we all share the same lamb. We all have a part in him. And we all better make sure that none of him goes to waste in our lives. This powerful sacrifice was once and for all, not year after year. And so this begs the question for us, How do we receive the sacrifice of the lamb today? How do we receive that? And to do that, I think it goes back to our personal altars. Altars are where the divine and human worlds interact. Because the altar is a place where sacrifice is is offered. And so because of that, altars will always get God's attention. If you're offering a sacrifice to God... On your altar, a pure and holy, submitted, you're giving all of your heart to him, you're always going to get the attention of God. Altars will always get the attention of God. You know, God responds to Elijah with fire in the face of the prophets of Baal. God found the aroma of Noah's sacrifice very pleasing. So you know what he did? He gave Noah a sign that he would never destroy the world again through flood. And guess what? We still see that sign today. Don't you think altars are important? Altars are places where we build something right now that lasts for eternity because that's where we go deeper in God. Sacrifice was the essential 
act of worship. Sacrifice was the essential act of worship. And so before you are mistaken, before you think that I'm saying something I'm not, Jesus is the one who already paid that sacrifice. When I'm saying sacrifice, I'm not, when I'm talking about that sacrifice is that ultimate, that ultimate communing with God, there's nothing that you can do to earn that. There's nothing that we can do to earn that. Jesus Christ already paid that price for us. You know, after the Jews came back from exile, the very first thing they did was rebuild the altar. And then after that, the temple was reconstructed. Why? The temple was where they worshiped, but the altar is where the sacrifice took place. And I believe there's a powerful lesson for us. I believe there's a powerful lesson for us in that today. And that is the altar must come first. If you really want to worship God, I don't believe we can even worship God truly without offering ourselves, without meeting him at the altar. Sacrifice, his sacrifice is more important than my worship. And me lining up with his sacrifice is the most important thing with him. His sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is the only way we can even come to him. I don't care how many generations, 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 I don't care how many grannies back you go that she knew the Lord and she walked with the Lord and she prayed until you turned from your rebellious, wicked ways. Praise God for granny. Is anybody grateful for a praying grandma or grandpa or great, 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 great? Yes, all <laughs> grateful for all of that, for every bit of that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter any of that. What we have to know is we have to make our own personal altars. We can't rely on what everybody else does. We can't rely on this is my heritage. This is my lineage. Folks, heritage and lineage do nothing for you in God's house, in God's eyes. But it's surrendering to God. The sacrifice of Jesus is what made a way for us to come to God directly. We are drawn by his goodness, by his mercy, not by our heritage, not by anything that we could have done, not by our good works. Folks, did you know it's not even by your faith? I am stepping on some people's theological toes right now. I think we think sometime that, okay, we're just kind of bebopping along, and then we start thinking about God. We start thinking about the goodness of God, and then we get really good. We get good enough to decide that we want God, and then we have faith, and we come to God. You, you, you don't even have faith without God giving you that faith, and we can't even come to God without him calling us to him first. Because God has already provided the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And this Lamb is large enough for the whole world. But I must have a personal altar. Some of us struggle in our own walks. If, if we're honest, we struggle because we never found a true personal altar. We're relying on grandma or grandpa or mom or daddy. Or we come to church and we hope that something will spill off. <laughs> Something will spill off of other people and just kind of kind of will splash onto me. Jesus died for everyone Amen. corporately, but we must come to him as individuals. Hallelujah. We must come to him and believing that he died for me. Yes. 
He died for the whole world, but guess what? You are part of the whole world, and you got to come to him for me. And so we need to remember that none of the lamb could have been left behind. All of the sacrifice had to be consumed. And that tells me, that tells me right now in my current situation as a believer, I can't just choose the aspects of Jesus' sacrifice that I want. I can't just say, I like this part of the Bible and I don't like that part of the Bible. I can't just say, I want to follow this and I don't want to follow that. It means if I am wholly submitted and completely consecrated to him, then my altar is going to be big enough to receive all that God has for me. I'm going to receive the full sacrifice. You see, Jesus Christ brings deliverance, but we must walk in that deliverance. And you may ask, how do we do that? And I'm going to tell you, the way we do that is with daily altars. Dying daily to sin and to shame. Giving all of that over to him. You know, you, you, you might be thinking, Lord, I want some peace but not interested in living peaceably with people. Lord, I want forgiveness, but God, I'm not going to forgive that person. You don't know what they did to me. (laughs) Lord, I want joy, but I'm not willing to be content with what you've already given me. You see, this is the kind of stuff, this is what dying daily is. It's taking a long, hard look in the mirror at our own hearts, and it's saying, God, I'm going to surrender all of this mess over to you. I'm going to die every day. I'm going to give it to you. I can't just rest on the fact that I built an altar five years ago or 50 years ago or five months ago or five days ago. I must daily receive the sacrifice. I can't just come to church I can't just watch online. I can't just hope that that will be good enough. I've got to find an altar every day. And the same way we see in the Old Testament, the same way that God wanted the sacrifice to be fully consumed at the Passover, it's just the same for us today. We must fully consume his sacrifice. So today, I'm asking you a simple question. Have you fully consumed the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Is your altar too small? Is it open enough to fully consume all that he has provided for you? Is your altar just this small little corner of your heart? Just this little place that you give him just a little part? Kind of like the same way we are with the crumbs of his blessings. We give him the crumbs of our hearts. We just give him what's left over because we need some me time. We need to focus on our goals. We need to focus on our dreams. We need to focus on our relationships. I'm telling you, when we put God first and we give him all of our hearts, then all of those things fall in line. And they all fall in with his perfect will for our lives. If you want to rebuild, you've got to completely surrender. Oh, you can try to rebuild, but Scripture tells us you can build on a firm foundation or you can build on a sandy shore. And I'm telling you, if you, want, if you want all that God has for you, we must rebuild on a firm foundation. Make no mistake, my altar will determine my blessing. Not your gifts, not your anointing, not even, not even your faithfulness in things. You can be faithful, but your heart can be part 
far from God because you can be bitter and resentful for the things that you're doing for God or for God's house or for, or for people. But what's going to determine your true blessing in your heart is your altar. It's, it's how you receive the sacrifice. It's how you surrender. Without an altar that's large enough, I can't consume all the sacrifice, meaning I can't receive all the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice if I'm holding back part of my heart. It's all about surrender. It, it, it's the same, you know, it's the same message. It's the same. All of Scripture is about surrender and covenant. Surrender and covenant. Surrender to him and then joining together for what he has for us. So then we can go and do that. Because it says what's the greatest commandment? To love God and to love others as yourself. If you fully love God, you will fully surrender to him. And you will walk in all he's calling you to do. And it will be easy to love people. Even when it's hard, he will make it easier in your spirit to love people. Your altar not only determines your blessing, but your altar also determines how you will walk in the spirit because the frequency of my altar determines whether I consistently walk in the spirit. What do I mean? I mean if I die daily at an altar of prayer, I can be raised to life in the spirit each and every day. Did you know that? If you want to be spirit-led today, die daily on the altar. If you think you can handle it on your own, then just have at it. But don't be surprised if you're not walking in the Spirit. And I, 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 I might be the only one. I might be the only one. But, Lord, right now I repent of days thinking that I thought I could handle it on my own. Amen. Oh, maybe I gave a little lip service to prayer, but I, was not, I, I didn't give all, my all. I didn't make a daily altar that day. And you know what? I felt the effects of that later on as the day went on because I realized I was relying on my own strength, not God's. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all, but my altar had better be every single day. I must open my heart completely to God because here's, here's what we have to know. If you don't open your heart completely to God, you're never going to receive what he has for you. I refuse to allow the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to go to waste in my life. Is there anybody else who would believe that with me? Is there anybody else who would say that? If you feel that way, why don't you just stand up to God? Stand up right now and declare that to God. I refuse to allow the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to go to waste in my life. Lord, my altar is big enough. It's going to be big enough to receive all the sacrifice that he won for me. My altar will be daily so that I can walk in the, in the spirit and fulfill his call in my life. So I'm going to leave you with the same question again. Is your altar too small? Are you building your altar daily? Are you wasting God's sacrifice? Is there something you haven't fully surrendered to God? Is your altar too small to receive the fullness of the sacrifice of Jesus? Is there something that Jesus wants you to do that you aren't allowing him to work in your life, that you aren't obeying, you aren't following Folks, the fire of the Holy Spirit is here today to consume the sacrifice, to fully consume it. Jesus already made the sacrifice. 
It's just our part to take part in it. Just like they had to eat that Passover lamb, it's our job to consume all that Jesus has done for us. And that same fire of the Holy Spirit will consume our personal altars as well, burning off any impurities and making us whole in Him. Here is what I know for us today. There is no one in this room who doesn't need to build an, build an altar. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. There is nobody in this room who doesn't need to build an altar. We are human. We are not perfect. We are not in heaven yet. If you've got air in your lungs, for one thing, the great news is there's a chance <laughs> that God still has a work for, for you to do for him if you've got air in your lungs. If you've got air in your lungs, that means there's space for you to build an altar for him. Sacrifice. We all need to make room for Jesus, whether you've lived for him for many years or you're just making a start toward him. We need to open our hearts to his sacrifice and ask him to transform us. And so here's what I want to do right now. God's spirit is so strong in this place. I want to pray a prayer over us right now, a prayer of consecration. When I'm done praying, we've got spots up here that you can stand. You can safely be socially distanced. You can come up. You can pray together um, alone or with your family or how, however you would like. Um, of course, you can pray where you are. But I think it would be so appropriate if every person under the sound of my voice made a personal altar. If every person reached out to God, cried out to God, surrendered your all to Him, I'm going to pray a prayer of consecration over us. And I want you to be open for God's voice. Some of you haven't heard God speak in a long time because you haven't obeyed the last time He spoke. And so right now, He's calling us to surrender. He's calling us to give everything over to him right now in this place. Dear God, we are your people. Lord, we are your children. We are in covenant relationship with you. We are here today to surrender everything to you. God, there are people in this place who have lived for you for so many years, but they need an altar. God, I need an altar. Lord, there are some people in this room who may not who may not have ever taken a step towards you. Right now, let them know that you are a good God, that you love them, Lord, that you are here for them. Whatever they need, God, they can surrender their lives to you. And so, God, I pray right now, forgive each one of us. Forgive each one of us for trying to go our own way. Forgive each and every one of us for walking in the power of our own strength. God, we humble ourselves. We surrender completely to you in this place. Lord, let the fire of our altar be a sweet savor unto you, God. Lord, we want everything you have for us. We want everything you have for us in this place, God. We fully surrender to you. We give you everything within us, God. Right now, the blood of Jesus binds and expels every spirit of fear every spirit of doubt, every spirit of condemnation, every spirit of oppression. The blood of Jesus releases a spirit of hope. 
You are who God says you are. You are his child. You are his servant. And you can receive everything he has for you right now. You don't have to be bound up. You don't have to be in bondage. Lord, we release the grace of God over your people right now. We release the goodness of God over your people. Lord, we make our altars stretched out big before you right now, God, so that we can consume all that you have for us. We can consume all of that sacrifice in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Why don't you make your way? If you're comfortable to come to the front to pray, we can spread out. We've got room. If you prefer to pray where you are, that's fine too. Can we make this whole place an altar? Can we make this whole place an altar? There are people here who will pray with you if you want someone to pray with you. God is here in this place. His goodness, His mercy, His grace, they are here right now. Let's receive what He has for us.